Strongman Academy. Today, coming all the way from Canada, I've got Mike Cameron. Mike is a Canadian writer, speaker, philanthropist, ultra endurance athlete, and advocate against gender-based violence. He is helping society redefine what it means to be a badass through avenues such as his 2017 TED Talk, The Way Men Think of Strong is Wrong, and his newly released book, Becoming a Better Man. Mike, you want to go ahead and tell us about yourself for a minute? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, where, where do you want me to start? You, you, you want me to go like with the, the full gamut or, or uh, yeah, I just, so I guess, I mean, we're, we're, all, we're all tee off. Um, I've been a business guy for the last 20 years and, and just last uh, December 2019, I actually sold my business um, just to move into this arena on a full-time basis. This is something I've been uh, doing probably for the last five years on sort of the philanthropic side of the equation. So uh, in December of 2019, uh, I sold my business and uh, taken the plunge. So at uh, 50 years old, I'm, uh, I'm starting over again. So it's kind of exciting. Awesome, man. I love it. I, uh, I'm kind of with, you know, I haven't quit my day job yet, but I do, I do want to take what I'm doing now is allowing me to do this as an assistant principal, but in the next three or five years, you know, kind of make it all I do, but um, nice. we'll see. We'll see if I get there. Um, so look, I believe in the power of story and I know you're a huge fan of the power of story and its ability to connect, to connect with us on an emotional level. Um, so let's just get started, man. Just tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, for me, you know, I started in business and sales and leadership, and, and I really quickly recognized the impact that a uh, story had to create that emotional connection. And as a sales guy, I recognized very early in my career that um, my customers bought based on emotion and, and sort of sort of dove into that and started researching how do I make that emotional connection a little bit better. Um, so I could become a better salesman. And ultimately when I started my own business as a, as a business leader, recognized that my staff productivity was directly tied to their emotional well-being and, and how they felt. And so really started researching the impact that emotion has on, on human behavior. And um, yeah, it, it was interesting because I, uh, I separated from my wife in 2012 and you know, so some of this stuff started to take on different tones. And I was having a conversation with a female friend of mine over coffee. And we talked about, you know, this whole concept of, of manning up and how sort of detrimental that was potentially. So flash forward to 2015, um, my girlfriend, Colleen, and I went on a road trip to Penticton, BC, which is a sort of a, a summer vacation town that, you know, probably doubles in population in the summertime. Uh, Penticton had a bit of a, a special place in my heart because it was where we used to summer as I was growing up. And uh, Colleen and I took a road trip there. I had a, an Ironman race that I was doing there, um, which I was really excited about. And my aunt Sharon lived in Penticton. So we were going to have an opportunity to go visit with my aunt. Um, to back up, uh, Colleen used to always tease me about how badass I was because she kind of knew um, my take on this whole, you know, challenging masculinity. And I, and I got to tell you, you know, 
as a guy that's always been sort of more geek than jock, more nerd than, than cool kid, you know, certainly in high school, nobody would ever called me a badass. Um, so I, it always kind of made my heart swell with pride when, when she would tease me, you know, as an ultra marathoner, an Ironman, a uh, rock climber, a yogi, a business leader, um, she would tease me about how badass I was. And when we went to Penticton, little did I know that I was going to get a real lesson in, in what it really means to be a badass. So we go to Penticton, I compete in my race and uh, had a great event. We ended up going to my Aunt Sharon's place for dinner that night. And Sharon is a 65-year-old woman, not overly fit, not overly active. Uh, in fact, you'd probably say she was a little bit overweight. So we get there, we're having dinner, and she starts telling us how she had decided earlier that year that she wanted to get a little bit more fit, wanted to get a little bit more active. So I'd been doing a few things. And when she heard I was coming to town for this race, she started looking into all the events leading up to it and found that there was a 5K fun run the day before the, the Ironman. So she said, you know what? I decided that I was going to sign up. She goes, I knew full well I was going to be dead last, but I decided I was going to do it. So she's telling us this story. I lined up way at the back of the pack because, again, I don't want 100 people passing me because I'm so slow, but I just wanted to do this thing. So the gun goes off, and away she goes. She runs her 5K. She gets within, I don't know, 500, 750 meters of the finish line. And she says, all of a sudden, this kid on a bike starts riding beside me. And, you know, of course, when she says kid, it's probably some guy in his late 20s, early 30s. And she says, I looked over and I said, you're here because I'm last, aren't you? <laughs> and he says, yeah, I'm afraid so. And he says, yeah, but you're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. And he starts cheering her in. And uh, they get within 100 meters or so of the finish line. And he says, okay, I'm going to ride ahead and let them know that you're still out on course. And she looks up and she can see that she is so far last that they've already started tearing down the finish line. They've already started packing up the PA system. And uh, he rides ahead, lets them know that she's still out there. They set everything back up. They announce her across the finish line. They send a fellow by the name of Jeff Simons out, who's a professional triathlete and a local Penticton boy, to run across the finish line with her. Like, how cool is that? So anyway, she finishes telling us this story. She gets up to clear the table, leaving Colleen and I at the, at the table alone. And Colleen just looks at me and she goes, you know what, Mike? She goes, now that's freaking badass. And I just thought, yeah, like having the courage to compete in an event where you knew full well you were going to be dead last, I mean, that takes guts. For me, I'm sort of a middle back of the pack kind of guy. I mean, I do my thing. I run my race. Nobody knows whether I was there or not. You know, there's, there's no guts. There's no glory in that. But to have the courage to show up and compete knowing full well that you're publicly going to be dead last you know, that's pretty badass. That took courage. So the entire drive home, which was about 11 hours, uh, Colleen and I talked about what does it really mean to be a badass? And we had the um, Tim Ferriss podcast on and Tim was interviewing a lady by the name of Brene Brown, who probably many of your listeners are, are familiar with. Yeah. Uh, Brene is just a brilliant researcher. And, and Tim asked her something to the effect of, what do you think of the over-feminization of boys in our school system? which really caught my attention. And uh, Brene handled it perfectly. She said, well, you know, I don't believe that masculine and feminine are mutually exclusive. And then she said something that brought it all home for me. She said, you know, in fact, I believe that that right combination of tough and tender is the perfect equation for badassery. Boom. 
there you had it again. That sort of wrapped it all up for me very succinctly. Little did I know how big of an impact that this concept would end up coming to have on my life. You know, a short month and a bit later, this was end of August that we were in Penticton for the race. Uh, October 2nd of 2015, Colleen woke up at, at my place. We didn't live together, but she often stayed there. So Colleen woke up at my place early. She taught yoga every Friday morning uh, out at the local rec center, and she taught at 6 a.m. So she her alarm went off at 5 o'clock. She got up, uh, got dressed, got ready to go, came over to my side of the bed and gave me a kiss, said goodbye, and I said, have fun at yoga, and I rolled over and went back to sleep. Eventually, I got up around 7, 7.15, went downstairs to make breakfast, shot her a note, as was our custom, at, you know, about quarter after seven when she should have been finished teaching yoga and said, hey, how was yoga? And I got no reply. So I carried on about my day and not a big deal. You know, Colleen's not much of a talker, but she's an incredible listener. And as a result, often got sucked into sort of long drawn out conversations with her, her yoga students. So not really out of character for no response. And she had five kids. So who knows? Things happen, right? Um, so I went on about my day. I had an appointment downtown at nine o'clock. I hopped in the car at about 8.30, shot her another text, uh, no response, picked up the phone and called her as I was driving to my appointment. Phone rang and rang and rang and rang and eventually went to voicemail, no response. Um, so now I'm thinking, eh, a little out of character. I'm not sure what's going on. Got to my meeting, finished up about 10 o'clock, got out, still no, still no text, still no phone call back. Uh, I headed back to my office where I had an 11 o'clock appointment, tried calling her again, no answer. You know, now I'm starting to get that feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach. Like just, this is not right. Something is, is off for sure. So I texted her just before going into my meeting. I said, hey, let me know you're all right. I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about you. Went into my meeting, finished up, and we agreed that we were going to go uh, the folks I met with, we agreed we were going to go across the street and, and have a, a celebratory lunch. We, we had negotiated a, a successful contract. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit distracted because I still haven't heard from her. So we walk across the street to go to this restaurant. And as the hostess is about to seat us, my phone rings and I look at it and the call display says blocked number. And so I answer it. And the voice on the other end of the line says, this is constable so-and-so. And I don't remember his name, but my heart just sank. And I immediately said, is she okay? And he says, where are you? I said, is she okay? He says, where are you? He says, we're at your house. We're coming to you. So I told him where I was. I turned and I don't even think I said two words to my guests. And I just walked out of the restaurant and I, I stood there at the side of the, the road waiting and, you know, probably five, six, seven minutes later, I don't know, might've been an hour for all I know, uh, this unmarked police car pulls up across the street and I start walking across the street to meet him. This big badass, burly looking cop gets out, gun on his holster and plain clothes. He's got his badge hanging around his neck and meets me halfway across the street. And after identifying who I was, he said three words that would change my life. He simply looked me in the eye and he said, Colleen is dead. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. 
this is a guy that probably fancied himself a badass. We make decisions based on emotion. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I kind of discovered that in my business life leading up. And this was a guy that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened existence. And, you know, for me, I had many well-meaning friends and family around to support me at the time. And, and almost without fail, they'd pat me on the back and, and they'd tell me to be strong. And, and I, and I got to tell you, I didn't want to be strong. I wanted to curl up into a little ball and I wanted to cry like a baby. And while I love them for their intention, I mean, it just, it, it, it saddens me that our Western culture's version of strength is, you know, avoiding, suppressing, or remaining stoic in the face of our emotions. True strength isn't about any of those things. True strength is really about having the courage to sit with your feelings, explore them, observe them, and, and learn from them what we can. And, and like I said, if the man that took her life had maybe taken the opportunity to sit with those feelings rather than reacting to them, maybe if his definition had been different, the outcome might've been a different story. So for me, that's why I'm passionate about redefining what it means to be a badass and why I believe that in particular, the way men think about strong is wrong. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, you know, <clears throat> my best friend died about 11 years ago and I got that call from a constable um, not, not as tragic as yours, but he was 29 years old. And, and that was the event, probably the greatest event that changed my life. I went from kind of being a kid. I mean, I was 29 years old, but I was still having fun to all of a sudden saying, this is adult time. And that, you know, it's time to grow up. The, the playing is over. And it, it gave me a, just, it got me sober. Actually, I've been sober 11 years um, as a result of that. Um, but what you're talking about, about these unemotional, lack of emotional awareness and actions is something I see every single day with my kids. I had a kid today that is a great kid, honor roll kid, got into a fight with another student. Uh, my principal, who's a woman, broke it up and he was so upset, stomped on her foot six times and broke her foot. Oh, Jesus. Caught up in emotion. Honor roll kid was in a fight. Whoever had upset him and started the fight, somebody else started the fight. <clears throat> it just took him over. And now there's, there's some severe consequences for breaking the principal's foot. You know, I'm, I'm empathetic and I'm a, I'm a pretty fit dude. And if it happens to me, I, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to make the most of it. But with the principal, I can't, I can't help you, man. You know, yeah. you made that mistake. So a lot of what I do in strong men is, is preventing that, you know, yes. I do a lot of the emotional awareness. We do a lot of meditation. Um, I don't know if we can get quite where you do. Cause I've listened to you a lot 
as far as you do men's groups and y'all will meditate and then work on those feelings and feeling them out. But golly, I'm trying with my 13 year olds. Yeah. You know what? And I mean, there's, there's no reason you, you can't, I mean, and I suspect that's probably what you do. So I, I use the framework. I've broken it down to the acronym SOAR. So okay. slow down, just take that pause. That's that meditation and mindfulness piece. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's an easy, quick answer. Just take that 60 seconds, take a breath, no matter what's coming up for you, slow down, open up. So that's the sharing piece, opening yourself up to allow, you know, if it's anger, rage, whatever, whatever's coming up, just to open yourself up to that. Open yourself up to sharing. You and I having a conversation. Talk about what you're feeling right now in the moment. What are you feeling? Open up. A, accept. Whatever it is, accept it. Don't fight it. You know, I shouldn't be pissed off right now. I shouldn't be this mad. It's a minor thing. Yeah, but you are. Right. Accept it. Right? Don't fight it. And that's, I see that a lot. We, we get into this spiral of, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Therefore, you beat yourself up because you feel bad. I shouldn't feel bad. I've got so many good things. And then it just becomes this big spiral. So just accept whatever's coming up for you. Just accept it. And then the last one are reconnect with our emotional selves. And the reason I use the term reconnect is because we weren't born emotionally disconnected. We've been conditioned to become that way. You know, I, I sort of joke with, with some of the women in my life. I said, you know, ladies, I need you to have patience. You know, I wasn't born a knuckle dragon mouth breather. I've been conditioned to become that way. Right. And, um, you know, I, I say that in jest. Um, but we have been like, and, and again, my, my mom kind of gives me shit every once in a while because she says, we never raised you like that. And I, like, I understand you didn't raise me like that, but the amount of time that, that I'm in front of mom and dad versus the amount of time I'm in front of, you know, all these marketing machines, all these, you know, school programs, all of the peer influences, all of this other stuff absolutely that's conditioned oh it's true i i grew up watching wwf hulk hogan and macho man randy savage and i was I just gonna say spent, macho badness I baby spent half my life pumping weights to get as big as those tough guys and it's just like i mean i got brainwashed we all got brainwashed totally absolutely so it's so that that's the other that's a good point so just being intentional about this stuff is huge because I think, you know, we tend to go through life without acknowledging that. So when you can put aside some time, whether that's the, your, you know, your program with, with your 13 year olds to be intentional about exploring this stuff is huge, you know? And, and for me, you know, I started doing it when I, when I, um, when I split with my wife and I realized that, you know, something for me personally, something's off. So that was when I kind of dove into the mindfulness meditation and yoga piece. Um, and then after Colleen was killed, you know, that just brought it full circle for me and brought, brought it all home. Uh, and what I realized at that point was while I had done sort of the inner work as an individual, you know, one of the things Brene Brown talks about is vulnerability is the core of all emotions. So if we want to get to a point where we understand 
the underlying emotions that drive the decisions, that comes at the price of vulnerability. And vulnerability isn't something that we can practice alone. So I can practice yoga, I can practice meditation, I can do that all on my own. But vulnerability, by definition, isn't something I can practice alone. So you alluded to it. So this is why I started an organization called Connected Men, which just creates a framework, an environment for guys to get together, drop the mask of the stereotypical masculine bullshit that we all think we need to carry, and just get real with each other. And it's intentional. And I, I got to tell you, man, there is a magic that happens when guys come together with intention. Like, it's, it's, it, it's been mind-boggling. Like, again, I kind of knew it theoretically, but to actually see it happen is unbelievable. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I got a quote that I, I say I made it up. I, it's an amalgamation of, of a few different people's stuff. I was listening to some Brene Brown. I was listening to some other things. And it's on the road to authenticity, we must realize that trans, uh, wait, I'm sorry, I messed up. Tr not transparency. Uh, on the road to authenticity, we must realize that vulnerability is our currency. And it, it, our vulnerability is how we connect. Absolutely. It's, it, what, it's what gives us value in the relationship building world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, again, I mean, that comes back to everything, whether we're talking our personal lives, our professional lives, our business lives, you know, the quality of our life is the quality of our relationships. And the way we can make those deeper connections, those deeper relationships is through the practice of vulnerability. Like it's, it's, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. So this leads me to my next, my next big question I want to ask you. <sighs> A lot of people can just point to toxic masculinity and say, boo, toxic masculinity. But I love how instead of you just bashing toxic masculinity, you say masculinity isn't toxic. We just need to learn how to redefine it. So I yeah, feel I'm like I feel like you're, you're taking a negative and you're just saying, no, 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 let's work with this and let's make it a positive. So I love how you want to give permission to feel and express how you feel. Um, that's huge. So here's my next question. It's almost like a, I almost wanted to challenge you with the question here. Yeah. And may, maybe I won't, but how do you balance the idea of, of expressing how you feel with the thought of stoicism? Um, cause er, a second ago you said, you're like, we're not supposed to be stoic. I personally, I am a fan of some of the Stoics. Every morning I get Absolutely. up, I, I do 10 minutes of meditation in my sauna, and then I read Marcus Aurelius' meditations for about 10 minutes. It's like my daily, you know, my daily reading, you know? So I believe that there is a way that the, the expression of emotion actually allows us to become more of a Stoic in a sense. What's your take on that? No, I, I totally agree. And, and, Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I don't purport to be an expert in Stoic philosophy, but I absolutely subscribe to a lot of Stoic philosophy. I think, and I've actually thought about whether I need to re revisit using that term. Um, but I think the way that that gets interpreted a lot is that we just need to suck it up and bury things, you know, whether or not that's the way Stoicism uh, is meant 
for it to be. But I think that's how it gets interpreted a lot, that we just need to be flat and even keeled. And the reality is, I, I, I'm not sure you can control that all the time. There's going to be things that come into your life that are going to trigger an emotional reaction in your brain. So having the wherewithal to be able to, to feel them, move through them, observe them, and then make choices as to what to do with those. You know, Eckhart Tolle talked about with awareness comes choice. Yeah. So just being able to be aware of those things rather than trying to suppress them or bury them and pretend like I shouldn't be feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling sad. And I think that's a big one, you know, and, and I've been through that. I, I mean, by all standard measures, I've been successful. Um, so who am I to be sad about anything? Who am I to be depressed or, or unhappy? I've got a great family. I've got a great house. Um, I've got a decent income. Um, who am I to be sad? Um, yet there are some things that come up that make me sad. Yeah, no doubt. So giving myself permission to feel that sadness is important. And, and, and I think, again, I'm, I'm no expert on, on the Stoic philosophies, but, but I think a lot of times that can get interpreted as just don't feel. No, no, you're right. And, and it, it's the misinterpretations that, that give things a bad name. I listened to, uh, you familiar with Jocko Willick? Yep. He does the Jocko podcast. Uh, I was a huge fan of The Prince. In college, I wrote a, a huge paper on it. I probably read The Prince 15 times. And when you say Machiavellian, everybody's just like, the terrible, deceptive ways of politicians. And man, if you go back and look at The Prince, he's really talking about relationship building through the most of that book. He does right. have a, he has a little area where he goes dark, no doubt. But like the majority of his work is, is pretty constructive. And, and some people could even argue that he put that out there to make the general public aware of what some of these poor evil spirited leaders can do. Right. But it's the misinterpretation. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's what I feel about, you know, this term toxic masculinity, which is why I dislike it because yeah. I don't believe that masculinity in and of itself is toxic. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a beer with the boys. There's nothing wrong with being strong. There's nothing wrong with burping and farting and scratching your nuts. Like nothing wrong with that. There are some stereotypical characteristics that we define as masculine that can be problematic. Right. And those are those burying your feelings, burying your emotions, quote unquote, being strong that can become a problem. But what I think is a bigger problem is what I would call fragile masculinity. The guys that push back against things like the Gillette ad or, you know, what have you, that just won't have the conversation because it, it threatens their identity. <laughs> like I have, I have a guy at my work that brought the Gillette ad to me and was like, what's up with this BS? And I'm like, well, hold on, let's look at it and we can talk about it. Yeah, like, but dude, if, if you can't have the freaking <laughs> conversation, that's the problem. Right, no doubt. And one more thing I wanted to tell you, um, when you were talking about Brene Brown and you were talking about a, a badass is, is a good combination of the masculine and the feminine qualities, it took me back to Carl Jung. You familiar with Carl Jung? Yeah. Um, the anime and the animus. And there, there's an aspect in each man that has feminine qualities. There's an aspect in each woman and woman that has masculine qualities. 
And that's a healthy balance. And if we don't right. have that, we need to look at it and we need to do some self-examination. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm a big believer that, again, that that perfect combination of tough and tender is the exact equation for badassery. I, I love that a lot. No doubt. So here's my last big question for you before we go to the lightning round in a few minutes. So life is better when you make stuff. Yes. I, I absolutely agree. Um, I'm a huge believer in that. One of the focal points of strong men moving into year three next year is giving students more of a voice. So I want you to help me brainstorm right now a few ways we can give students more voice in the ability to make more stuff so that we can tap into their creativity, even though they don't necessarily have the time and life experience that we have to have developed our stories. You know, I, I don't know about you, I'm 40 years old. I've had a long time to tell you a hell of a story, but at 13, I don't know if I had a lot to tell you. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think at 13, they do have a lot to tell us. And what, what I really would love to see more of, and it's one of the things that, that I've been kicking around, is how do we get that sort of mutual mentorship going on? Because the 13-year-old can learn a shit ton from you, but I can guarantee you can learn a ton from that 13-year-old. I do every day. <laughs> I'm sure you do, right? So, so to, to think that because they don't have life experience and maybe the same number of stories, um, does, it certainly doesn't mean they don't have things to contribute. They've got a different perspective for sure because, again, they, they haven't had some of the, the shit-kicking of life that you and I have. So maybe their, their beginner mindset, that, that early um, mindset, might actually help frame some things that can be polished with the experience of, of us older folks. Um, so I think just creating the space to allow them to do that and not um, sort of chastising them. And I, I have to be careful with this with my own kids. Like, you know, I, I've, I've often been a fan of saying, you know what? I've been 16 and I've been 46. You've only been 16. <laughs> Shut up. Right? Like, but but that's, that's problematic because to discount what they have to offer because of their age, um, can be, can be very, very problematic. And, and so I think just by you having that conversation uh, and creating the space to allow them to share whatever their stories are today, whether you know, they're fully developed or not, um, I think just creating that environment for creativity and planting that seed. You know, I, I talk about this a lot. I mean, I actually just recorded a piece today where I talk about you know, for the vast majority of my life, I would have told you I don't have a creative bone in my body. And largely that was because I didn't know how to draw or paint. But, you know, if you look at it, I mean, I've created a business, I've founded nonprofits, I've, I've written a book. Um, like, to think that I'm not creative is ridiculous. So I, I think just giving the youth permission to create is huge. And teaching them to understand that, you know, because there's probably that one or two or five kids that are good at art um, that the other ones around say, yeah, I'm, I'm not creative because I, I can't draw like Adam. Um, you know, I, I, I can't play piano like Susie. Doesn't mean you're not creative. Just means your creativity probably takes a different form. You just need to find that and discover that.
Awesome. I'm like I said, that's what I'm that's what I'm moving towards next year. And uh man, I love that advice. Yeah, so, I mean I just I think just allowing it, giving it permission to live, breathe, and and explore. Yeah, that the life's better when you make stuff. That was a video I did for uh, a contest. Uh, one of the YouTubers I follow is a fellow by the name of Levi Allen, and I had the opportunity to to go on a workshop with him last year and do a filmmaking workshop. And yeah, his tagline is "Life's better when you make stuff." Um, okay, and that really sort of opened my eyes a lot to the fact that you know what you are actually fairly creative mike whether whether you like to think so or not i mean i speak for a living of course i'm creative yeah i i, I kind of have gone through the same i guess transition in the sense that i've always thought of myself as very resourceful but not creative at all yeah so so when i started this program i just pull everybody and i pull all these resources in but i did start the program <laughs> you know it's not nothing um and although i'm using all my resources to do it I, and the more i meditate the more i find that those creative energies come up yes so awesome well, look you got five easy easy questions coming up and this is a, my lightning round uh short answer or it doesn't have to be a short answer if you don't want uh number one what's your favorite race you've done uh you know what and i was thinking about that i've got so many of them the um, Canadian death race I did last year was a favorite because my 18 year old came and crewed me for that one. Awesome. Uh, Sinister 700 miler. I've attempted it twice. I finished it the first time, but I was two hours over time. Uh, the second time I finished after 125 kilometers. Uh, like I, I had to bail. Um, Costa Rica was a six day, 235 kilometer stage race. So Jeez. that was amazing. Like that was just incredible. That, from a scenery and experience standpoint, that was probably my favorite. Awesome. God, after the podcast, I'm gonna have to get some notes from you on these races. <laughs> um, second question, uh, who's the greatest role model in your life? You know, it would be a combination of, of dad and my Uncle John. Uh, my Uncle John passed away last February. Uh, when I was 16, I was a little shit disturber. Mom and dad didn't know what to do with me. So they shipped me off to Australia to live with my uncle, John, who really sort of kicked my ass and, and, and taught me to work hard. And, um, yeah, that was a real turning point in my life. So awesome. uncle John played a big role in, in shaping my, my life for sure. A big role in making the badass, right? Yes. Awesome. Third, uh, Third question. You got a favorite quote? You know, I am a big fan of making quotes. You touched on it earlier. Okay. So the ones that jumped to mind for me were, were, were mine. Um, and and uh, so for me, the big, the big one I, I quote often or I talk about often is the true measure of a leader isn't how many followers they have. It's how many leaders they help create. Um, and I think that's important because I think so often we want to be quote unquote leaders. So we start thinking about how do I get more people to follow me? And for me, if I do that, my reach is finite. So let's assume that I can touch a hundred people because that's my capacity. Well, if, if I'm just a leader that's attracting followers, I touch a hundred people and we're done. 
if I'm a leader that helps create other leaders, now I can help create a hundred leaders who can then each touch a hundred and it becomes exponential and on and on and on it goes. So I think that's very important. I love that. Wow. Um, fourth question. What do you do to relax? Relax for me, again, yoga, meditation, um, just taking a pause. I, we do our men's group weekly. Uh, for me, that is very life-giving. Just having a space where I can show up and not worry about being, you know, not worry about anything, but I can share that space with other men and be 100% safe to be who I am. 100% completely. And, and knowing there's no judgment. So, so for me, I find that very relaxing. Awesome. Um, last question. If you had to assign three core values to a strong man or masculine strength, you can only pick three, what would those be? I've spent a lot of time on this. Um, for me, empathy, compassion, and integrity are sort of the three top values. Um, but I'm not sure I would assign those values to an individual because I think each individual is built with their own values. I think the bigger problem is we don't always know what our values are. So for me, that's one of the things that I do on a fairly regular basis is try and sit down and identify, you know, I'll start with, I'll brainstorm, what are the 10 or 15 or 20 values that I hope to live and then whittle that down to the top three. And then it's a friend of mine by the name of Drew Dudley who wrote a leadership book called This Is Day One. He talks about this. You take those values and define them in a way that an eight-year-old can understand or that somebody that's English as a second language could understand. So simplify what those mean because again, it's easy to rattle off values yeah. But how do you define them and then create a question you can ask yourself every single day to know whether or not you're living those values. So that's a, a long answer to your short question. No, I love it. I love it. And empathy is, uh, is something we always need to work on, especially as men. And I don't know if you got to check out any of my website. I have this pyramid of maturity and the fourth level, the second to last level is uh, relationship building. And it's the combination of empathy and good judgment. Because nice. a, a lot of times kids, you know, their, their frontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. And those are two ideas that can actually compete with each other. And, and really the nature of politics is, is just the competition between empathy and good judgment, in my opinion. But, right. but, you know, how do we teach them to each other? And then how do we teach them to complement each other that, rather than work against each other? Right. No, that's awesome. I have not had a chance to check out the website yet, but I, I'm, I'm eager to do so. I think, I think what you're doing is fantastic. You know, I, I've taken this in, and implementing it with um, my generation. Well, actually, we've got guys from, you know, age 25 up to 60 um, that come out. But uh, yeah, I love the idea of taking this earlier in life and, uh, implanting some of these beliefs and values and, and just opening up the conversation, allowing, allowing these kids to explore some of these things. And I think, again, I've talked about, you know, we mentioned earlier, 
I think just allowing people to explore these ideas is huge. Yeah. I, I feel okay. like what guys like you and me, we're, we're uncrossing wires at 40 and at 46, we're uncrossing wires that have been crossed for 20 years. Yep. So I'm just trying to teach these little kids not to get them crossed in the first place. Yes, or, absolutely. Not crossed as much. So man, it's been great, Mike. Thank you for coming on. Um, you want to tell our listeners, uh, where to follow you, how to find you. Yeah, you bet. You can find me online at MikeCameron.ca because I'm Canadian, so I got the .ca. And .com is the baseball player. You guys got a, a, a big-name baseball player by the name of Mike Cameron, so I, I, I can't compete with that. So it's MikeCameron.ca. Uh, if you want to find me on YouTube, it's MikeCameron.ca slash YouTube. Uh, Instagram, I'm at Axiom Mike, A-X-I-O-M-M-I-K-E. And uh, I do daily Instagram stories. So part of my practice is getting up every day and trying to distill something I've learned down into a 60 second soundbite. And I, I record that. That's part of the studio. I record that into a, into a 60 second Instagram story. So I do those daily. So like you, it's, it's about daily practices, right? Yeah, I love it. And guys, that at Axiom Mike, uh that was one of the first ways i found mike and and we don't have time necessarily to watch these 45 minute podcasts on the regular but his 60 second videos it's just a good little nugget every day so check it out and uh guys check out our website at strongmanbr.com and i'll see you next week